Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. I wanted to, we're talking about Paul, and of course, we're talking about the Paul of the New Testament. And so I want to give you a quick, you, you may have, if you got the hard copy of the notes, you can read along with me, but give you a little bit of a background story of this man we call Paul. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Gentile name or his Roman name. And he is dramatically converted from a murderous persecutor of the church to a now powerful preacher of the gospel. He escapes capture in Damascus and goes to Jerusalem where Barnabas convinces the other disciples that Saul is now an ally. He stays for a time until the Hellenistic Jews try to kill him but he's able to escape back to his hometown of Tarsus in what is now Turkey. At this time, the church enjoys a long period of peace since Saul, otherwise known as Paul, is now on their side, and consequently the Jews abandon their need to destroy the Christians. Then, after a great revival of sorts takes place in Antioch, Barnabas goes to investigate, and upon seeing a wonderful work taking place, Barnabas sees the need to stay longer and help the growing church. Now he gets help. He travels to Tarsus and brings Paul back with him to Antioch, during which time they both become powerful and influential teachers. And we can assume that Paul unpacks much of what he has studied and come to understand concerning the scriptures. His epistles, written later, will come to reflect this. Paul and Barnabas then become missionaries and apostles, to plant churches among the Jews first and then the Gentiles after the Jews reject the idea that Jesus is their Messiah. Paul then travels on his own with Luke to visit the churches planted to set in pastors and elders and deacons to encourage them, the saints, in their faith. The epistles that Paul writes are divinely inspired as they communicate powerful truths in the context of the early churches and thus become the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy of church life. Today, Paul is considered the first real New Testament theologian. Christ clearly chose Paul to be the vessel he would use to communicate Christian theology from the teachings of Jesus in context with the Old Testament books of the law and the prophets. When it comes to understanding the New Testament truth, it's better to call Paul. So we begin today in talking about laying the foundation of this series. And so part one, I want to talk to us about how the whole world is without excuse. You know, the book of Romans is a very powerful book. And I remember when I first studied it, and of course, spent, have spent many years studying that book and all the other New Testament books. But this particular one, as I remember taking it, and in, in when you're in Bible college, generally you'll study whole uh, groups of, of the epistles together, maybe by, by authorship. But Romans is one book that you study in entirety by itself because of how critical it is. Critical to our understanding about what Jesus taught and to, to basically the understanding that it is a theological masterpiece, one of Paul's best. And I remember uh, uh, one of my teachers told me, he said, look, if you're going to be on a desert island and you can only take one book of the Bible with you, the book, is, book of Romans would be the one you'd want to take. And so I'm going to cover just Romans chapter one because Paul really, and for this series, this will become the foundation for what we understand. It's a presupposition 
of what we will understand throughout Scripture. Now, there are many other presuppositions we really need to have, and one of them, of course, is that we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And with that assumption, we move on today to understand that we better call Paul. We better listen to what he has told us and what he is writing to us even today. Paul is an apostle. He has been one that was recognized by God himself. He says of himself that he was added later. He was not one who would spend time with Jesus as the 12, but he was a Pharisee. He was a Roman citizen, and he was raised up as a very, very unique and special. He was May, we, may I say, just he was the up-and-coming leadership. He was going to be a very influential leader uh, among the Jews. But in time, what happened is he, uh, of course, he volunteered to persecute the Jews. He, being an ambitious young Pharisee, he got on this, the, the point of doing that. And as a result, of course, Christ confronted him. And he said, Paul, he knocks him off his donkey, and he speaks to him, and he, he, and he comes and reveals himself, himself to him. Paul is blinded. Paul is struck by the power of God, and as a result, he's humbled. And then uh, Ananias comes to him, lays hands on him. He gives his life to Christ. He becomes a Christian. He's in, he is completely, his whole life is turned upside down. So he goes from being a murderous, you know, uh, uh, antagonistic one regarding the church to now an ally. And now it takes time, of course, for, his, for those who uh, know him uh, to begin to see him as this apostle. But as time goes on, as I shared with you, he not only uh, is one recognized by the church, but his hand, the hand of God is clearly upon him. So he begins to write and he sets the stage. And his goal is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles who do not understand the moral law as written in the Law of the Prophets. And that's, that's something that you need to understand, that as Paul makes this decision to go from Jews who have a moral understanding, they know what is, what is sin and what is not sin, to going to pagans. And if we're talking of the Romans, particularly those, these, these pagan societies that, 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 society that worshiped many different gods and goddesses, of course, you know that they, they ripped off the Greeks and made their own mythology. And so the soldiers, massive amounts of soldiers, uh, when the gospel came to them, it began to spread like a virus among them. But you've got to understand that they had no context for understanding Jewish law. They understood nothing about morality as we would even understand it today. And so Paul had an incredible challenge. How was he going to do this? Well, obviously, the Holy Spirit moved upon him. And we have the beauty of being able to see the book of Romans, which was the response. And of course, we begin, as I said, with Romans chapter 1. So Again, the, the, the Roman churches, as he's writing to them, as he hears that there are churches that he is, is beginning to write his, his, his letters to and, and stay in communication, is, again, mostly pagan Romans as a result of the gospel spreading, spreading among them and some Jews, some of which have run from persecution from Jerusalem and have since spread the gospel there. So uh, Romans chapter 1, what uh, Paul begins to do is to try to communicate to them, okay, you got a problem. And he wants to under, help them understand essentially where it is that they have come from. What is their true spiritual condition? And I want to go ahead and jump right in on that. So my first point is this. Why is God angry? In Romans chapter 1, Paul makes this clear. He says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
Now, one thing I want to point out here is that the wrath of God is, okay? It is. It's an ongoing thing. I'll come back to that. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul steps outside his Jewishness. He steps out his understanding of the moral law. He he steps outside of the covenants. He steps outside of what he knows his people have experienced. His people have seen the pillar of the fire. They've seen the cloud. They've seen the fire on the mountain. They've seen the glory of God on Moses' face. They have seen it all. And so Paul is trying to communicate to them, look, you are without excuse, and let me tell you why. It's because everywhere you look, creation is a testimony of who God is. When you look at what God has made, when you see the beauty of the oceans and you see the majestic mountains and you see the intricacy of a flower and you see the amazing creation, who is man? We learned that recently when Karen Jones showed us even just the, the, the complexities of the human eye. How about when we look at it, it, it is just amazing. And, and the thought of, of all of this stands as a testimony and as a judgment to all mankind to say, there is a God. There is a creator. And Paul is beginning with that to say, God is upset. Why? Because man is actively rejecting him and his solution. That even people all over the world, if they hear the gospel when preached in churches, as they drive past here 365 days a year, or they hear the gospel preached on the radio or television, 90, what was it, 99 years of of Billy Graham's crusades, the internet, through missionaries, books, and every imaginable way the gospel can be shared, that they, even if they have not heard all that, they are still accountable because they see God in nature and by what he has created. In other words, his hand, his fingerprints are everywhere. Now, isn't it interesting that mankind is spending an, an, an amazing amount of energy, billions of dollars, to try following behind God to say, no, that's not true. When God says it's blue, man says it's green. The man is, is, is that everything in our power to use our sciences to go behind God and say, and, and isn't it amazing? It, it, to me, it's, it's almost indicative of the truth that so much energy is being used to try to discredit who God is, to try to discredit his creation, try to discredit the fact that he's the one that made all this. Even though the stats are pretty clear, you take a 10,000 piece puzzle and put it inside a brown paper bag and you shake it together as long as you want. The idea of evolution ever creating something as complex as what we enjoy today, it would be the same as seeing that puzzle be completed when you pour it out on the table. That's the reality of the odds of what they say, creating what we enjoy. No amount of time, no amount of zeros, no amount of billions will do what God has done. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that God has done this, and because God has done this, it is a testimony against us. He says, even though 
And, and, and essentially all mankind is gonna stand before him and immediately we will know. And well, of course he goes on. Let me, let me not get ahead of myself. So God is upset and understandably so. And understandably so. I mean, how would you like it if somebody were following behind you and every time you, you did something, they would erase it? I mean, I'm an artist. I like to paint. I mean, it would really bother me if somebody came up behind me and blacked out my name from what I just did and put their own. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd kind of bother me a little bit. I mean, I'm the one who painted that. But that's what mankind does every single day. They go in behind his glorious works and they, they etch it out, put something else in there. A random act. Brought to you by a random act. Okay. So what on earth did man do to deserve God's wrath in this way? Well, he goes on in Romans chapter 1, 21 through 23. He says this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him. Now what he's referring to is of course Adam and Eve. He's going back to say that our tradition is that God created the earth and God used to have a close relationship with man. And he had communicated all this. And man never doubted the fact that God had created it. Adam and Eve were like, yeah, God did this. Thank you, God. But over the course of time, man began to wander away, even though on the inside, instinctively know, we instinctively know. And even if we don't look at here, we look at the heavens. Is there any way, any more of a way of you being absolutely blown away and made to think that you're smaller than an ant by staring into the starry sky? To see the billions and billions of galaxies full of billions and billions and billions of stars? Is there any more, is there any more of a, you know, a obvious way of feeling like we are nothing than that? I go on in, in, in this, this reading. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. By their thinking, they became, uh, by their thinking, they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claim to be wise, and that's interesting because they become less wise and their hearts are darkened and yet they think they're becoming wiser. And that kind of describes it. It really describes where we are as, as mankind right now. Knowledge doubling about every seven to 11 years. It's where we are. Incredible amounts of knowledge, but yet our hearts become more foolish. I mean, look at the headlines. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What we know is that, and this is one of the arguments regarding the existence of God, is that every single human being on the earth worships something. Every tribe, you study anthropology. That's one of the things that you learn. One of the very common characteristics of every group of men on the planet is that they worship something higher than themselves. And it's whether it be animism, and mostly animism with, with uh, uh, shamans and, and whatnot, but they all know that there's something supernatural behind what is going on. It is the God particle. It is the God conscience. It is what is inside every mankind running back to Papa. It's just they don't know. And so the heart of man Instead of submitting to a God who is holy and righteous and just, 
wants to begin to, 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 to try to make sense of it by creating graven images and cast images out of gold and silver and wood. And it's amazing. That's the very first thing that God told his people when he brought him to himself. Stop doing that. The first commandment, make no graven image to me, to look like me, act like me, be anything like me, because I am not that. I'm the invisible God who is everywhere present, who has all powers and all knows all things. That is what a God is. He is it. And so it says here that as man has pulled away from God and tried to make excuses for what we see around us or come up with other ideas or try to, to, to uh, give, it, give another God power, that we become foolish. That what we think we're doing is becoming wiser and wiser and wiser. And, yet the, 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 and you can see it in our culture today is that the wisest among us still do foolish things. The most wealthy and influential among us still end up in the news. For example, one particular gentleman in New York, I understand, is very influential in the legal department, goes on the record of saying, I'm a part of the Me Too movement. I am supportive of women and what they're going through and the, the sexual exploitation, only to find out my gosh, he's one of the, women start to come out saying, what are you talking about? He's doing it more than anyone. One of the women came back and said that he was enslaving them. That's a hypocrisy at another level, folks. You stand for what is true and right, and yet the degradation of their real activity is indicative of something that Paul is talking about here. We try to be wise, but in our sin, and our true brokenness, we really are fools. Paul's pointing it out. He's seeing that this is what's going on, and this is where it started from the beginning, and this is what continues to exist, which is why God is still angry. So how did God respond to all of this? Well, Paul says, look, you are in the condition you are in today for this very reason, if we look on in Romans chapter 1, 24 and 25, he says, therefore, God gave them over. So in response to God's rejection of him being their creator and their God, and they refused to submit to him, but instead create these graven images and totem poles and whatnot, God says, I remove, I step back. You're not going to worship me. I will not be involved. And so God says, I gave them over. God gave them over in the sin. Notice what he does. He gives them over to the, descent, the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served, served created things rather than the creator. Ultimately, it comes down to idolatry. And the highest form of idolatry is the worship of the human body. And that's something for us to catch and to understand. Paul is doing a progression here that is so critical to our understanding of how sin works and what sin ultimately looks like. He said, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, takes place every day, and worship the created thing. So the end result, well, it's important for us to note that God gave us, and it's including us, he, said, he gives us over to what we crave so that the lust is what destroys us, not God. Get that. When God pulls us 
when God pulls away that which we desire and that which, and we know that to be true. I mean, any examine of a culture, any examine of the daily activities of what goes on in our life, it's, it's the things that we seek out, whether it be drug abuse, whether it be sinful you know, sexual relationships, whether it be anything that is apart from God, in the end, it is what destroys us, not God. God. Essentially, God says, look, you don't want me to be a part of your life, then I won't be. The end result is what we call reprobation, which led to even deeper, more repugnant depravity in God's eyes. Notice what that sin was, lust in all of its forms that we see even today. I find it interesting when you study cultures and you find a destruction of cultures, you, what you will find is that usually heavy amounts of immorality come just before its destruction. You ever heard of Mount Vesuvius? Have you ever heard of certain, I mean, if you study it, what you'll find is that ultimately it, it's a self-destructing. They run out of creative ways. Folks, it's exactly where we are in our culture. We can't even have comedy shows anymore before it absolutely gets repugnant in its description. I mean, you can't have children around this stuff anymore. And so what we do is we keep pushing it up to the normalcy of realizing that, wow, I mean, I can't even, I mean, can people not even laugh anymore without it having to be heavily sexual? What's going on with our culture? Well, we know what's going on here if we just take time to read. It's right here in Romans chapter one. It's, 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 it's clear that this is exactly what mankind does over and over again. And over again, no amount of internet, no amount of eggheads trying to think that they know how it all goes and happens is going to change the truth of man's human condition. We see this. The Bible could not be clearer. Paul, by the Spirit, is making a very important connection. These lustful sins are a judgment, not an evolutionary discovery of human development and love. Sorry, it's just not. It's ugly. And as a result, disease is following behind it. And a judgment. And it says here, and if it is a judgment, then it will lead to harmful emotional, physical, and societal effects. In Romans chapter 1, verse 27, it says, and they received in themselves the due penalty for their error. What on earth is that? Well, sexually transmitted diseases were very rampant among the Roman citizens. Paul knew exactly what he was talking about. And so we see it today. And we will continue to pursue that. We will continue to try to chase it with medicine. We will continue to try to normalize that this is something. But really, it's, and I'm not here to, to, to embarrass anyone or to rub our noses in this. It's just important for us to understand that where we stand in all of this it's important for us to stand, understand that what is the biblical foundation of what really sin is so that we know what we're being saved from. Very critical. Paul is trying to set this up for the Romans to say, gosh, where do I start with you guys? You don't know the difference between right and wrong because of all this stuff that you've gotten yourself into. Let, let me just start with creation. Let me begin with what everybody understands. And, and I'll go on to say this. You know, every culture also has a sense of right and wrong. Of course. Let, let's choose one particular area that I think every culture would understand. Theft. I got my stuff. 
You take my stuff? I'm not happy about you taking my stuff. I'm gonna beat the mess out of you. Why? Because I think it's what? Wrong. That's one of those where it's a judgment against. In other words, we have already a natural sense of right and wrong, and Paul's appealing to that. He said, where did that come from? God put that in you. But because of God's love, his mercy and patience, he's given man time to repent and to turn. But let's move on. In Romans chapter 1, 28 and through 31, we find out where this all leads. He goes on and says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's what happens to a mind that rejects God. Depravity is the ultimate conclusion. So that they do not do what, they ought, what ought to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Now, you know, I'm getting ready to go away from, because I know, you know, it's uncomfortable to talk about sexuality, but it doesn't end there. So every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Boy, is that true. And they disobey their parents. Boy, they had to throw that one in there, didn't they, young folks? They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So who are they? Anyone who does not fear God. Anyone who has not made and in our condition today, folks, it's, it's been made plain. We're way beyond where the Romans were. We've had 2,000 years of the gospel being preached to every culture. Very, very close to every single human being on our big blue marble having had a chance to hear the gospel. With internet, with television, with radio, we are, we're, we're down to just a few people groups. And most of them targeted right there at the 1040 window mostly Islamic people groups. But even then, some of those folks are coming to Christ because Christ is appearing to them in a dream. Pretty powerful stuff. It's closing in, folks. We're coming, we're getting close. So who are they? Anyone. Notice where an immoral mind goes. It never stops at one area of sin. In many case, cases, it's indicative of many others. The game is to hide all of this, folks, and make no association no, they all are of the same seed of depravity, hence our need for a savior. I'll just say one last thing before we go on to the next point regarding our culture. It's amazing that we're not quite to the point yet where it's just like, hey, look, we're not gonna try to hide because of all you Christians anymore. Because for the majority of what takes place, whether it be in politics or in Hollywood, there still is this Christian discomfort. In other words, they're not going to be all that they could be in public for our sakes. Well, thank God for that. As long as the Holy Spirit is still on the earth and as long as Christians are around, there is a standard of morality. You take that away, then all hell will break loose, my friends. But in some cases, do we not see it more than we have before in our culture? Lord, help us. So folks, what Paul is saying here is we're all up in it to our eyeballs. 
But because, he goes on in chapter two, but because of our stubbornness and our unrepentant heart, we are storing up wrath against, he goes on, yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what he has done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. He's saying, look, this is, this is the way it is. Paul's pulling no punches. He's speaking to these pagans to say, look, this, we know this as a people. We have known this from our prophets from the day we were born. We have recited it. We know that our Messiah is coming. Of course, they missed him the first time. But we know that Daniel spoke of the day of the Lord. They knew it was coming. Daniel saw it and prophesied about it. So Paul is saying, look, let me just tell you, even though you haven't heard that, even though you have never read the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Daniel, it's gonna happen. He is coming. And for those who acknowledge him and his solution, there'll be immortality. There'll be eternal life. But for those who don't, who continue to suppress the truth with lies, continue to use all of the glitter and the glamour of, 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 our, our, of our society to erase the, handy, the, the signature of God, there is only one ending. It goes on in verse 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God, for God does not show favoritism. Folks, the conclusion here is clear. God is the one who makes the call. There's no excuse. There's no doubts. His judgment will prevail. The universality of these statements is God breathed and solidified by the unmistakable touch of his final statement. God does not show favoritism. This is a Jew who has every reason when it comes to talking about religion, talking about eternity to say, hey, you know what? We Jews, we're all gonna get saved. The rest of you, good luck. And matter of fact, Paul was, one, was the only apostle in the beginning to know that the, God, that, that, that the Old Testament was always pointing to the Gentiles, that God's heart was always to go to the, all the nations. Paul knew that. And Paul was like, wow, I have been uniquely called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Interesting. The goyim, the ones they're not even supposed to associate with, it can't even touch or get anywhere close to them. But Paul's the one who steps out. Peter follows in later. But Paul steps out, makes it clear, and he says, God shows no favoritism. Isn't that amazing? There are no favorites anymore. That playing field has been leveled. It comes down to this. What will you do with his solution? Will you acknowledge what Paul is saying here? See, Paul hits it really hard in Romans chapter one, and then he continues to make his case in chapter two. And in chapter three, he says, look, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in it. We're all going to hell. And then he goes on to say, but there's a righteousness. It has it's come up through the stump. It has come up through the dry ground. There's a shoot that has come up. 
And there's a righteousness that is now available to mankind. There is a time when man can be made in right standing with God again. And he goes on and he says, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he says, because God shows no favoritism for sin, he also shows no favoritism for salvation. And he goes on to present the gospel in a very powerful way. And then Paul throws himself in it. And he says, look, I've been preaching to you. I've been bringing the heavy. But let me just tell you, I'm in the same condition. Because he finishes Romans chapter seven with this understanding and just saying, look, that which I want to do, I can't do. I am bound up in the sin. Paul makes the, the situation to say, you know what? You thought it was bad. It's even worse. You thought that you were born into sin and you thought you were capable of choosing. You're not even that. You can't even choose him. How we sing the song. I haven't earned it. I haven't deserved it. It's the mercy of God that pursues you. It illumines your mind. It's the grace of God that comes. Folks, you're sitting in this seat today. If you've even had any, any, any contact with the gospel, consider it the mercy of God. And then Paul, so Paul goes on in Romans chapter, he says, look, I'm in the same boat as you are. And he goes, that which I want to do, I can't do. And that which I know I should do, you know, I can never do it. He says, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Who will deliver me from this judgment? Who will deliver me from the wrath of God that is imminently coming? And then Romans chapter eight, the pinnacle, the hallelujah. Verses one and two. Therefore, because of what Jesus did, because of my condition, unable to save myself, because of the mercy of God, Jesus Christ came to the earth. He was a child. He grew up among us. He performed miracles. And then he gave himself one man for all mankind. He died for their punishment. He took it upon himself. And in hell, which was deserving of every man, he, he, he took it upon himself. He took our judgment. He, he took the wrath of God so that those who are in Christ, he goes on to say, are not gonna get any of that wrath. Last week I said this, this life is the only hell you're ever gonna know. Unfortunately, for those who don't know him, this is the only heaven they're going to know. And some have made it their heaven. I'm waiting for something a whole lot better. Looking forward to it. Romans chapter eight, one and two. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life who gives life is, has set us free from the law of sin and death because that's what it is. It's a judgment. It's a law. The judge has said guilty as charged, but Jesus steps in front and he says, sir, I'll take their judgment. I've taken upon myself. I know what mankind does. I know that every man is without excuse. And so now, folks, we stand at a place of decision. And it's so important for us to understand everything regarding the church, everything. The New Testament is useless without our understanding of what Paul writes in Romans chapter one. You can't walk in salvation when you don't understand what you've been saved from. You don't understand what Jesus did unless you knew what your condition was. You won't understand what grace is until you understand that you, have, you are totally incapable of being able to love God on your own. That's what makes grace grace. 
That's what makes it awesome and special. If the God in his great mercy has come, he's pursued me, and he's pulled me out of, out of this death spiral and said, David, my hand is upon you. Now you will understand. And, and the reason why I'm doing this series is, is mainly because what I feel like, folks, and, and Paul's going to address this. He's going to address this because the church then experienced the same thing. And that is that we tend to wander we start to listen to some of those lies. We start to listen to them again, the whispers, the, the culture begins to gather us up again and we begin to wander away from the truth and we need to be, be drawn back. And Paul, as, as a champion of the church, keeps coming back again and again saying, don't believe it. Don't believe those lies. And we'll talk about that. But my friends this morning, we'll finish with this. Paul says, look, who will deliver me from this body of death? And every man is in the same situation. He's made that case, that point perfectly clear. And so he says the solution is to be in Christ Jesus. What on earth does that mean? Climb inside him? I mean, what are we doing here? No, it means that my life belongs to him. That I have made a decision that I believe that he is who he is. I believe, that, I believe that, that he is who he is. And I believe that I am, without God, an object of wrath without him. And because he died on the cross for my sins, I am washed clean. I have been qualified. There's no condemnation waiting for those because I'm in him. You know, many times I ask people, I say, what, when you die and you go to heaven, what are you gonna say to him? Well, I tried to live a good life. I mean, I wasn't really bad as, you know, my next door neighbor. He was really bad. I wasn't as bad as him. Um, you know, I wasn't an ax murderer, never spent any time in prison, paid my taxes most of the time. Wrong answer. The real answer is, I don't deserve to be here. I have no right to be here. But because what Jesus Christ did for me, he took my punishment. He opened the door so that I could come in vicarious atonement. He was the lamb that was slain, one man for all mankind. And because I believe, that gift is mine. That's the right answer. And Jesus, or the Father, come on in, welcome. Enjoy your inheritance. That's the, that's the, that's the point. That, that is the foundation of the church. Any other understanding, any other mistreatment of the, the New Testament, any other uh, 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 of taking away the power of what Paul was preaching, it's, it's useless to you. Just, just step away. Sometimes I don't understand why liberal uh, pro or progressive uh, you know, theologians who do not believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, I said, well, what's the point? If you just wanted to get into poetry and historical writing, I mean, go check out the Babylonians. That was pretty cool. But why pick on these writings that are inspired, that have been completely brought to us as a solution to mankind and our problems? So folks, here we are. We stand at the gate. What do we do? But for those who have chosen him, folks, it's just the beginning. Exciting times are ahead. But for those who continue to be stubborn, then Romans chapter one is your lot. May I make a suggestion? Don't choose that lot. Don't do it. Let's stand up this morning.
You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 830, 10, or 1130 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.